Amen. Well, have a seat. Take out your copy of God's Word, or you can find it right in front of you and open it to John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at the opening 15 verses of John chapter 4 this morning. I tell you, isn't it great to come together on Father's Day? And I'm so grateful for my own dad. He um, it, now he and mom are members of our church. They're taking some vacation time, and they're not with us this morning. But boy, I'm so grateful to have such a godly father who gives me such an example of what a dad ought to be. I'm glad that we have dads up here who are such a gift to our church that Jeff Hodges has forged the way with four daughters to show me what that looks like. And Jeff is a tremendous dad, which I'm grateful for his intentionality. I'm thankful for the way that that Adam Bishop leads our church, not only to think rightly about the role of family, but that he's doing that in his own home. He's such a gift to us that Pastor Ryan, who led us preaching the gospel from the piano today, he's a tremendous dad in his own right as God continues to give them more kids. And I'm so thankful for for his brotherhood that he serves here. It's just a joy to have just godly, godly men who are serving our church, who are great dads. And on this Father's Day, it's just right for us to acknowledge them and give honor to them too. So I'm glad this morning we get to come together. Now, John chapter 4 is a great text. Before we get into it, though, I just want to share just a few words. I cannot wait for August the 1st to come. We are only six weeks away. And the reason that I'm so excited about it is that August will be the rolling out of our coming out of the pandemic ministry plan. And I'm just so glad for that. Who would have thought that it would take this long? We entered into this in the second week of March, well over a year ago. And now we're able to really look forward, as long as the markers keep in the direction they're going, to having just so much to look forward to come August. So I cannot wait for that. In August, we're going to still have two services, 8.30 hour we'll have one service, a full hour of Sunday school from 9.45 to 10.45 so our teachers won't have to be rushed and We can have a good full hour to grow in God's Word together in our Sunday school classes and our other um, study groups that meet on Sunday mornings. And then then we'll have an 11 o'clock worship hour for the second service. It's going to be great that all that's going to be starting in August. And there's so much other stuff I can't wait for. Wednesday night, don't you miss Liz Graves cooking? Now, my waistline hasn't missed it. But I sure have missed it every Wednesday, getting to gather together around the table as a church family. And I can't wait for us to be able to do that again, for us to have study groups on Wednesday night, for us to have our normal choir practice resume, for our children's ministry to go again. It's going to be cool. I just cannot wait for that. All of that is coming. And I hope you're paying attention to that and thinking about it rightly through our ministry plan that was released keep thinking about that and keep looking forward to august 1 coming but in preparation of things of uh, coming in august i really feel led to preach a couple of sermons to get us ready for what life will be like at first baptist smyrna after we were we get to move into that ministry plan on august the first and the first of these two sermons will look carefully at john chapter Four together. So read it with me. John chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. 
And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Joseph's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan, a, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, Give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. When chapter 4 opens, Jesus is on the move. John doesn't directly tell us why the Pharisees' knowledge of Jesus' ministry popularity prompted Jesus to have to leave Judea and make his way to Galilee. But whatever the exact reason, we can trust, as Jesus always does, he is in the center of the will of his heavenly Father. And it wasn't just that Jesus had to leave. We learn in verse 4 that Jesus had to go to a certain route and pass through Samaria. And this detail tells us that even Jesus' itinerary was subject to the sovereign and the providential plan of God. So in the heat of the day, For the sixth hour, for us, it's about noon on our watches. Jesus' obedience to the Father left him after a long journey, hot and weary. So that's where we find him in in this text. And as we look at this text, as Jesus is sitting next to this well, known in our passage as Jacob's well, what I want you to consider as we look at these 15 verses is this truth, that as we come out of the pandemic, as we're readying ourselves for all that God has for us in the coming months, that our church will need to build wells. Jesus is no ordinary traveler, and the well that he is sitting next to is no ordinary well. This site is known as one of the most ancient and sacred sites of all of the Holy Land. Genesis 33, verses 18 and 19 tell us that the plot of land that Jesus is sitting, about which he's about to have this conversation with this woman, that plot of land was acquired by Jacob, the patriarch, when he bought the land from Hamor for 200 pieces of silver. And 300 yards from the well is the burial location of Joseph the great rescuer of Israel, whom about a fourth of the book of Genesis is written to describe his story and to tell his story. This son of Jacob 
was one who died in the days of famine, leading the people through the famine in Egypt, gave leadership in that situation, and Joseph's bones were taken from Egypt and were buried in the promised land after the 40-year journey through the wilderness had been completed. So even in the time of Jesus' public ministry, Jacob's well had a storied and long history. And it's fascinating to think that this well's history culminates in providing water for a wearied son of God who is the king of heaven, as this water will be used to quench the king of heaven's thirst. But I want us to consider another eternal purpose in the mind of God for this particular well. Because it is while Jesus is sitting next to it that verse 7 tells us that a woman from Samaria came to draw water. Now I love the stories of well building, not only like the one that we find in John chapter 4. Do you know that our church has a history of building wells? In fact, back in the 1970s and 80s, inside of the 83-year-old building that's soon to be demolished that was and is still known as the new building of Smyrna Elementary School, First Baptist used to fill up that building with life enrichment classes that gave us the opportunity to connect with people within the community. Over 60 years ago, our church began the ministry that Miss Cindy White still gives leadership to, the, the, our, our weekday education ministry that allows us to minister to well over, at this point, 200 children and all of their siblings and their moms and their dads as they're on our campus nearly every single day for almost nine months out of the year, Monday through Friday. Think about our athletic well, our athletic field, which is also another well that we have built that gives us a place for our church to rub shoulders, not just with kids participating in a recreation league and not just where our teams can come together and enjoy that time together on the field, but allows us, even in the bleachers, to connect with people of all ages in this community around the field of play. It's why we've organized basketball leagues at Smyrna Middle School and the actual new, new Smyrna Elementary School as we have over 800 kids in that basketball league through Smyrna Sports, or through, through Upward Sports. It's why our church sponsored at one time English as a second language classes for English speakers, for people who are now here who are speaking, who spoke Spanish as their native language of origin, to come here and learn how to speak English now that this is where they call home. It's why our church has made... Um, our, our church has been made a, a hub for providing food boxes for storehouse ministry and for must ministries. That's why we partner every year with Carmichael Funeral Home each Christmas season to invite people in our community, all of which who in the past year has lost a loved one, who are grieving them, especially at Christmas time. They can come to our church in the Christmas season, and as they come here, that's where they discover comfort and hope in the gospel. It's why we raised money this past Christmas to provide for 25 families in Smyrna so that those moms and dads could give to their children gifts and have gifts underneath their Christmas tree. All of these ministries, and I could continue going on, are examples of how our church throughout its history, how in its present, 
we are committed to building wells within our community. And as we build wells here, I want you to hear me. We don't just build wells so that this world can be just a more comfortable place to go to hell from. There's a reason for every well that we build. And here's the definition of a, be- of a well. A well is any ministry our church offers or opportunity that our church seizes for the sole purpose of gospel engagement. That's why we do everything we do. If we're not doing it to share the hope of the gospel with people, it is not worth doing. It might be nice to do. People might appreciate it. But the wells that we build are put together and are committed to for the sole purpose of sharing the gospel with people who so deeply need it. Now, as we come into our text, I'm always amazed at Jesus' example of resilient love that he has for all people. Because it is at this well, while the disciples were occupied, interestingly, they were looking for something to eat. I don't know any men that are always looking for something to eat. Do you? But while they're looking for something to eat, Jesus is more concerned about the woman he is to meet with in God's sovereign plan at that well than he is anything else. And so he is there and engaged, though he is tired, though he is weary, he could have stayed quiet, but instead he engaged, engaged in conversation with a Samaritan woman, and as a result of this conversation, her life was eternally changed. And as we think about what happens in our text, one of the things I want you to observe and to notice is that God has designed all people to live in such a way that every person must go to life's wells. It's a part of who we are in our nature. God made us to need wells. Now, God has made us all uniquely different. Aren't you thankful for that? That none of us are the same? That we're, I, I know it's way too cliche, but we're all a bunch of snowflakes, right? No two snowflakes are the same, neither are we. We're all different in so many different ways. And God is so creative in the beauty of his creating us all with such personal design. I just cannot believe that the Lord has done that for us. But while we are different, there's ways in which we are the same. For God has created all of us with needs that we cannot fulfill within ourselves. You might think you are a dependent person, but you're not. You're not. None of us are. I see this principle in the universal invitation that God gives to all of his people in Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1, when we read, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Of course, this invitation is for everyone. Why? Because everyone knows what it is to thirst. And when we thirst, you know it's true? We have to go outside of ourselves to have that thirst quenched, and we have to draw from a well. So we go to the well, we get water, and our thirst is quenched. And this is part of what it is to be human. When we go without food, what happens? What happened to the disciples? That's the reason they're not here. They're looking for food because they're hungry. And when we get hungry, we've got to go and find something out of ourselves, outside of ourselves to eat. When we work hard, when we grow weary after a long day, we eventually have to stop what we're doing 
and live according to that frailty because of our weakness and our weariness, and we have to rest. God made us in such a way that we regularly have to return to the well to draw water. And this isn't a bad thing. It's really a good thing. Because the need for life's wells always show us how deeply and richly we need Christ. So, herein lies the fundamental, fundamental principle that we need to always remember when we think about ministry as a church. We should always be looking at our community every single day, surveying the community in which we live, asking the question, what wells does God want us to build to make the greatest impact in our community for his glory? We should always be asking that question. And as we're trying to build wells, it's not that every person needs every well, but listen, here's the glorious thing. When we can match the needs of our community with the talents that God has richly given to our church, we then discover the secret sauce of life-changing, spirit-filled ministry. Those are the wells that we need to build. So, let's get to building. Every person has to go to the wells of life. But there's something else that I think we can think about as we observe this narrative. Wells are natural places for connection. Verse 9 is one of the most captivating verses that you will find anywhere in the Gospel of John. The woman's surprise was warranted. She cannot believe that this man sitting next to a well as he's passing through Samaria is speaking to her and requesting of her that she draw water for him to drink. And when Jesus speaks to her, it is obvious that she doesn't know who it is to whom she is speaking. It's very obvious in that. Because when she responds to him the way that she does, and Jesus has to then tell her, if you knew who you were talking to, you would understand that I am God's given gift to you. Can I just tell you that the confusion of the woman in Samaria marks the same confusion that every unbeliever postures themselves with in regard to the deity of Christ. They don't understand who he is either as the gift that God has given to the world so that we can know God and have an answer to that which has separated us from him. But as you look into her confusion, you know what else is intriguing in verse 9 and 10 and following? Her confusion is only and barely skin deep. She could not fathom that a Jewish man would be asking her for a drink. These are the ways that people lived back then. These are the tribes that they walked in based on their upbringing, their genetic background, and their heredity. Jews had nothing to do with Samaritans. It's the way the world was then. And let's just be frank. Not a whole lot has changed. Our criteria might be different. But the effect of our prejudice, it's still the same. Jews had no dealings with Samaritans because Samaritans were part Jews and part Gentiles who had intermarried with Israel's historic captors. 
So this woman was a person who the Jews believed lived in a continual state of uncleanness. And even as you think about how Jews and Samaritans interacted with each other, what pugnacious prejudice. How could any image bearer have so little regard for another? And now here we are, the audience, reading this text from John chapter 4. And if we're reading it correctly, we feel the heat and the smugness and the smothering air of the separations and the barriers between the Jews and the Samaritans. And if you're reading it rightly in your heart, all you want to do right now is reach for a fan. You're just wanting someone to change the air and turn it up. Because as we're breathing in this stifling, smothering air, we're now fixating on Jesus because we know if anybody can fix it, he will. How is this tension going to be resolved? And this historic well found on Jacob's property. Do you understand what's happened? It is now the stage in which the grand drama of redemption will be revealed. And the wells we build are similar. Do you understand what you're asked to do? When you're approached and do you ever consider God's design when a, you're asked to coach a team at the well of our upward sports league? Do you ever regret it when you're approached to participate in one of the wells that our church has built so that we can engage the world and hopefully share the gospel with them? And for whatever the reason, we're just too busy and we decline? Do you think about the eternal implications of your service as you give the church a check that helps pay for hurting families' Christmas gifts? We could go on and on about the wealth that we build, but as we consider this text in John chapter 4, what a story. Because social norms and gender differences that would normally keep Jesus and the Samaritan woman separated, when both of them meet around the well of true ministry, what happens is what always happens around those wells. The barriers that we have erected, thanks to the power of the words of Jesus, brings those walls tumbling down. And what a solution our well-building offers to a world that is so deeply and systemically broken by sin. In a day when social walls defined by skin color and gender differences seem as if they are unscalable. It is as important as ever for well-building churches to step into the needs of their communities so that the neighbors can be made whole by the only one in whose image they were created. And that's what wells do. They give us natural places to connect with all people of all ages, of all levels of brokenness. The places where we can learn from the words of Jesus and come to the well so that we can do what I think is the best definition of evangelism I've ever heard is where one beggar can reach out to another beggar and tell them where to find bread. 
That's what happens at a well. So along with being natural places for connection, you know what else a well is? What else we learn from this text, rather? Earthly water always makes you long for the eternal spring. By this time in the story, we know that Jesus, in talking about water, is speaking about something way more than just H2O. What this woman has settled for is the same temporary satisfaction that fueled the prophet Jeremiah to write Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13. As he brought a grievance of two natures against God's people, and he says, what you have done has been done against the Lord for two reasons, says the prophet. First, you have forsaken God, who, by the way, is described in Jeremiah 2 as the spring of living water. Isn't that beautiful? And also, you have cut out for yourselves broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So this woman comes to the well, as every person comes to the well. No matter how much we look like we've got it all together, without Christ, we're broken and we're thirsty. And she knew that there did exist outside of anything she's found, a soul-satisfying drink. But though she might have looked for it, it had always, it had always abated her. She had never partaken of this drink. So Jesus offers it to her. Do you see what he says? Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. And so in verse 15, she looks at Jesus and she says, Sir, my only request is that you will give me this water. And I just want us to stop and think about this. When you hear of her response to Jesus, isn't this church the reason why we do the things that we do? Isn't this what... Ministry, at the end of the day, is ultimately all about. We build wells so that the thirsty can find the only spring that wells up to eternal life. That's why we do everything we do. So you look at this text and what do you see? You see how important it is that we as a church are committed to building wells. And after we build them, though we might be weary and tired as Jesus was, we build the wells so that we can go to those who are thirsty, who need Christ, and express to them unconditional, undiscriminating love. That's what Jesus does. And we follow him an example. And all of this ministry then comes together. If that's all we have, we're not done. It all comes together in what Jesus does for the woman in sharing that the gift of God is himself. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we do everything we do driven by the unmovable conviction that Jesus is the only one that will satisfy anyone's thirst. 
Clearly the woman is drunk deeply from the world's broken cisterns. Jesus asks her to call for her husband. And you know what she says? I have no husband. And Jesus loves her enough to agree with her. You're right, he says. You have five husbands. And the one that you are now living with, though he's not the sixth, he is soon to become that. And why does he say that? Not to embarrass her. But as we look into the sad details of this woman's life, we don't throw rocks. We know the reason she is like she is and why she continues to marry. Because we all know the times that we've done the same thing. Our lives are guided by the constant pursuit of whatever it will be to satisfy our thirst. Why do parents, when they get off track, as we have committed to lead our kids in the nursery and admonition of the Lord, but why do parents so often neglect to keep Christ in the center of their home and they build their entire future with their children in the center of everything? Why is it that we allow our professional goals to be so prioritized in our life that at the end of the day they consume us? Why do we struggle to find relational and financial contentment with where we are in life? The answer to these questions and any of them that are similar is very simple. The satisfaction that our souls crave evades us. But here we learn that the only remedy for our thirsty souls is for us to drink deeply from the water that only Christ gives. It really isn't hard to understand this principle, but it is terribly hard at times to live it out because it requires from us true faith. We have to stop trying, church, to achieve satisfaction on our own And know that we have it not within us to achieve it. And we have to then turn to Jesus and to Jesus alone for that satisfaction. We have to look to the Messiah. So that as we look to the Messiah, as we find him in Isaiah chapter 12 verse 3, we sing along with the song of all of the redeemed. And we joyfully, as it says in that text, draw water from the springs of salvation. So how do we come to Jesus and drink of the water that he gives us? First, stop drinking from the broken cisterns of the world. C.S. Lewis gets it completely right. Stop pursuing, as he writes, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Whether you're trying to find your satisfaction in relationships or in money or in pornography or in all that you can attain, or in substance abuse, or in getting drunk off of the praise of others. It always takes more effort to try to achieve some semblance of happiness, and the more that we taste of these things, it's interesting how the happiness diminishes, and the time that we feel it gets shorter and shorter and shorter. Because these waters, cisterns, are broken. They have no water in them. 
stop drinking from them. And second, answer the question, where's your well? If you have a coworker that does not know Jesus, what's keeping you from taking them to lunch and sharing Christ? If you have a neighbor that you've not connected with, what is stopping you from crossing the street with some homemade brownies and building a bridge that may lead to a dinner invitation that around your table as you love them, you get to share the gospel with them? What we learn from Jesus' example in John chapter 4, even in the wells that we build, The gospel is not best shared from group to group. This isn't a herd-to-herd type thing. This is a person-to-person encounter. And that's what we're called to do. How's the well that you're building? Are you building them? And finally, I want you to know that as we come out of this pandemic as a church, God is calling us to work together to build wells within this community for Christ. When I think about the wells that we have now built, the most prominent wells that we've built in our church are two. I think about our church's weekday education ministry and our Upward Sports League to pray that we will seize opportunities that these two wonderful ministries afford us. God has shown us the way forward. Cindy has worked tirelessly in the face of the pandemic to persist in weekday education ministry. These families are here We're connecting with them. We're starting to see them welcomed into our church family. We're building those bridges. I'm so excited for those things. Several of our weekday families attended our at-home BBSs in our neighborhoods this past week. I'm thrilled for that. We need to continue to think about ways that we can use that well to share the gospel with people and do it as effectively as we possibly can. We still have some unanswered questions when it comes to restarting our upward sports ministry. Pray that we can find the answers to those questions. Pray that the leaders will rise up. Pray that the doors will open for us to continue to build that well into our community so that we can share the gospel with children and their moms and dads and we can impact this community with the gospel. There's other new wells that are being built. Some of these wells that I've talked about, they are historic wells. They have been in our church as long as Jacob's well has been in existence. Amen? Been doing them for a long time. 60 plus years. Weekday education. That's a long time. We have some historic wells we need to be thankful for, but we also have new wells that God wants us to build as we consider the needs of our community. This coming year, I want to invite all of you, every month, starting in August, we're going to have a pray and go day. We go into the community, praying for our community, leaving door knockers, letting them know we're here, we love them, we're praying for our community. I invite you to do that. We're going to have opportunities as it comes in the new year. I cannot wait. We're going to have a day that we focus all of our effort to love and to care for as many people in Smyrna as we possibly can. We're looking at our opportunities at the school. So glad that Campbell... High school is right in our backyard, coming out of a pandemic. For months, they've had parts of their building unoccupiable. We can go in and care for that community, encourage those weary teachers coming out of a pandemic, and do all we can to minister to those families and those students and make an impact for the gospel on that campus. And it is less than a mile away from our campus. I'm looking, I'm seeking, God, what is the need in our community that we can build wells? 
What are you thinking about? Let's build wells together. The secret sauce is when the needs of our community match the giftedness of our church. And it's a joy to see that. Pray for discernment that we'll know what those are. That we'll see the needs of our community with the eyes of Christ. And pray that our church will accept the vision to build wells. Not just the ones that already exist, but the new wells that God is calling us to build. That we will receive this vision just like the vision was received in the days of Nehemiah when they went into the torn up walls and they were called to rebuild the walls. And when they heard the vision from God, Nehemiah 2.18 says that the people of God were strengthened. And they strengthened their hands for the good work. Are your hands ready? got a lot of work to do there's wells that we need to build I'm so grateful for what happens in the city of Samaria the story continues not only was this woman forever changed she invited everyone in the city to understand the reason for the hope that she will soon have come and hear the man who told me everything I ever did Samaria was changed upside down by the power of the gospel. And it all started in a conversation around a well. What wells does God want us to build? And maybe you're here today because for the very first time you've encountered a Savior who loves you so much that any barrier that you thought would keep you from Him has been brought down. And He's invited you to drink from the water that is eternal, that never runs dry. I want to ask you to bow your head. Close your eyes. As we have this time of invitation, I just invite you to be obedient before the Lord. If you're here today, And you know you have drank from broken cisterns and you need the hope of the gospel. I just invite you right now to drink deeply of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is God's gift to us. The wages of our sin, if we got what we deserve, would be forever separated from God. But thanks to the work of Jesus, who came and who lived, who died and was raised from the dead, if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart, God raised them from the dead, you can be saved. Drink deeply from the well. Trust in Christ. Repent of your sins. Just turn away from those broken cisterns and turn to the Lord. And pray for our church as we're coming out of this season to know what are the wells we're called to build. What are the wells you've given us we need to utilize more faithfully? What are the ways that we need to do as Jesus demonstrates and pull up next to a well and engage people with the hope of the gospel of Jesus to be beggars going out to other beggars showing them where to find bread oh God show us how to build wells I thank you so much for your word and as we sing may we be committed to do whatever it is that you've called us to do so that our hands can be strengthened for the good work that is ahead in Jesus name we pray amen